Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is The Way In by Pastor Sean Wood. We pray that our hearts would be like good soil this morning, that your word may be planted in our hearts and may produce a harvest for you. Lord, we come with open hearts, ready to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit this morning in your wonderful name. Amen. 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 Uh, This morning, uh, throughout the month of September... Uh, we would like to answer the question of why. Why is the Rock Church here? Why is it that we do what we do? And, and so, and part of that will culminate in us asking people to get involved. We would like more people to get involved in uh, the Lord's work here, and we're going to uh, more about that as we make our way towards Partnership Sunday. But this morning, I would like to preface or do an introduction to that. Uh, what is our heart, and uh, whatever we do here throughout the week is intentionally we do so inside of the framework of what I want to share this morning. Uh, When I came to Queensland, I was somewhat excited. Uh, All of my fishing time in Tasmania, I fished for trout, and they have competitions for trout fishing. In fact, in 2019, they held the International Fly Fishing Championships in Tasmania. But I was always a little bit disgruntled about how they measured those who won how they defined, how the points were scored and and how it is that you could win. And I'm thinking, this doesn't really measure somebody's skill. And and then I came to Queensland, I was a little bit excited because in Queensland they have fishing tournaments, the three Bs, Brim, Bass and Barra. You know you're an Aussie when you're fishing for Barra, right? Uh, and so uh, I don't mind fishing for bass. We're, we're a little bit too far south for barra. You'll be pleased to know. Uh, I, there were people that moved from Tasmania to Queensland to fish the barra in the impoundments, gave up uh, fishing in. But the tournaments up here are a little bit different. You see, they measure uh, what a angler catches by weight, which is interesting. If we were to put 10 people in a boat and send them out fishing, uh, normally what we would say is, well, the best fisherman is the one that caught the most fish, right? But you can take my boys fishing and they, uh, they could catch 20 fish and it still only weighs the same amount as one of mine. <laughs> well, what I liked about the tournaments up here is it wasn't about amount, it was about not quantity but quality. You see, the tournament's up here. Uh, a fisherman fishes from 6 in the morning to 2 in the afternoon. You get a session to fish. That could be important in a moment. You get a session allotted to you to fish on a, on a piece of water. Everybody competes by the same rules and the same weather. doesn't matter what the weather is. They go out, and at the end, everybody comes back to the same spot. You can tell everybody how good a fisherman you are, but when you turn up to the weigh-in station, that's when we separate the men from the boys when we separate the bass from the carp and your best two fish in some tournaments and your best five and here's how they measure the best fishermen by weight you see it's not about how many fish you catch it's not about the amount or the quantity it's about quality I was thinking about that recently and I thought you know what that's a lot like the Christian life and it's a lot like church life sometimes we measure success by the wrong metrics. Sometimes we get focused on quantity when God has always been focused on quality. Now, the work we do here at The Rock is fairly simple. 
Our heart is to reach people for Christ. We, would, we pray that God would do a work that is wide. But at the same time, our heart is that God would do a work that is deep in each and everybody's life. And I love the quote by D.L. Moody, which will kind of sum up where we're going today. D.L. Moody said that converts should be weighed as well as counted. Converts should be weighed as well as counted. And every one of us, just like those fishermen, will reach a day in the future when we will reach the shores of heaven and God will place us on the scales. We're here to reach people for Christ and we're here to prepare you to meet Christ. And so my question, as we work our way through some of these scriptures this morning, I would like to put a heading, how much do you weigh? Let's continue with what Paul had to say, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, Just a little bit of context before we dive into the verses this morning. Uh, Paul writes to the Corinthians, one, because they had a number of questions, a number of questions about spiritual gifts and some other matters, uh, but also he writes to them because he's a little bit concerned because uh, these guys didn't swing from the chandeliers, they camped up there. Uh, They used to pitch a tent and they got a little bit crazy. And and he writes to them in chapter 3 and he says, you guys are still in the flesh and still acting carnally because while there is strife and jealousy and divisions amongst you, you're still being carnal. And and so he, he says, you guys are immature. Here's what Paul would say today. He would say, you guys are light weights. Not much weight here, not much quality here, and we had people in Corinth that were saying, uh, they had theological disputes that sounded like this. They said, you know what, I agree with Paul and I align with Paul. And another one said, you know what, no, I agree with Apollos. And Paul says, was I crucified for you? He says, we're all servants. Here's what he says, chapter 3, verse 5. What then is Apollos and what is Paul? We are servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. Verse 6, I love this verse, I planted... Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Hmm. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. Thank you, Paul. But only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labour. I need to press the pause button. If your picture of heaven is long fairways and big fish, you've missed it. It's all about Jesus in heaven. However, if you think that everybody will be the same, that's not what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that we will all be rewarded and to put it mildly, some will be driving Ferraris in heaven and others will be driving Holden Captivas. <laughs> Michael Terranova's not here this morning. He, he would have got that immediately. Uh, I love what Paul says, verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers. 
you are God's field and God's building. Thank you, Paul. Verse 10, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care. And to every leader and every pastor that's listening to me this morning, highlight those words, take care how you build. That's a story for another day. Uh, Verse 11, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Short note this morning before we go any further. Uh, If the foundation is not Jesus Christ, if everything we do, everything we say, does not revolve around the person of Jesus Christ, you're not at a church, you're at a social club. Now, some of those social clubs have church banners this morning, but the reality is the foundation must and always be Jesus. Otherwise, Paul says, you're not building a church at all. Verse 12, now, if anyone builds on the foundation, listen to this, with gold, silver, or precious stone, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest or be revealed. It's my pastoral duty to prepare everybody in this room for the moment when this will happen. Paul says, for the day will disclose it. There is a day coming when everyone in this room will stand and give an account. A little bit more about that in a moment. I love what Paul says. uh, Because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort or what manner or what quality of work each one has done. You see, we may be building, we may be working for the Lord, uh, you may be using wood, hay and straw, none of that may be evident until we're all standing before the Lord. Uh, what we will see is we have a choice what materials, what quality we use and how it is that we build. Paul says, not the amount. Interesting thing about what we read in the epistles throughout the New Testament, nowhere does Paul say, congratulations, you broke the 200 barrier. Nowhere does he say that. In fact... Quite the opposite. There are moments in church history, in the first church, where they were happy for half the church to walk out if that meant they stood on the truth of God's word. Turns out they measured things a little bit differently, maybe. What quality? What sort? By the time... Paul is at the end of his ministry. He's writing a letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy, he writes from prison, about to be beheaded, and he says, all in Asia have deserted me. All the churches that I planted, everybody that used to love me once has deserted me and has labelled me nothing more than a criminal and wants nothing to do with me. Wow. But he'd done what God called him to do. What sort of work? Here's what Paul's focus is of the work each one has Done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive award. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he, he himself will be saved. We're not talking about salvation today. This is not a moment where you stand before the Lord for salvation. That's a different matter. This is when you give an account for what God has invested in you. And so our focus here is not on quantity, but on quality. Lord, do a deep work in our lives. And, and I want to encourage people in this church, uh, if you've been journeying with this church over the last six to eight weeks, you'll know that as a family and as a, uh, we've been through some stuff. But I am deeply encouraged, it's got nothing to do with me, but I'm deeply encouraged at throughout some of the severe storms of life how people have stood because God has done a deep work 
in their hearts, and he's doing a deep work in this church. Praise his wonderful name. So how do we, how do we put a framework around this? What is, what is Jesus trying to teach us here, and how can we best position ourselves? Well, I'm glad you're asking all these really good questions this morning uh, for those that emailed them through. If you've made your way to Matthew 25, I, I love Matthew 25. Here's a couple of things we need to know. Uh, first thing is, we're going to be talking about the parable of the talents, and more about that in a moment. But what's the context? The context is, Matthew 24 and 25, uh, Jesus didn't have a rest cut in a chapter break, and then later on, this is one conversation, so you have to interpret the whole lot. We'll we'll deal with Matthew 24 at another time, but here's what Jesus says at the start of Matthew 25, then the kingdom of heaven will be like, then, which puts a framework around how we treat Matthew 24, emails for another day, then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins, and so the context as we come, we have a first parable, all of these work in a very systematic order, thank you Lord for doing that because we need you to help us, but most of us know the parable of the ten virgins. And whenever we come to the parables of Christ, let me help you a little bit. Uh, What we need to do is determine what is the one point and what is the one thrust of the parable. What is the one thing Jesus wants us to take away from this parable? The one thing from the parable of the virgins is this, be ready. Listen, can I help you with your end-time theology today? For those that are wrestling with end-time theology, I'm going to make it real easy, I'm going to make it real simple, and I'm going to make it real short for you. Jesus Christ is returning in the future. Jesus Christ is returning on the clouds. You will not miss his return. It's in the future. It's an actual return. It's going to come by surprise. And here's what Jesus wants us to know. You best be ready. If that's all your end times theology is, you've got it. You've got it. You better be ready. And so in the first parable of the ten virgins, here's what Jesus deals with. Uh, We need to be like the virgins. We need to keep our lamps burning with the oil of the Holy Spirit. Yes, those symbols are absolutely intentional. We need to keep our lamps burning. We need to keep the fire going on the inside. Uh, Note that all the virgins fall asleep. None of them are chastised for falling asleep. They are chastised for letting their lamps go out and they missed out. I don't want anybody in this room to miss out. And so by the time we get to the end of the parable about the ten virgins, we ask ourselves the question, how do we live ready? Great question. You asked good questions this morning. So let's get to the parable of the talents. This morning, as we come to the parable of the talents, we'll cover a few things off first that we need to know. Uh, verse 14 of 25 says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them, entrusted, big word, entrusted to them, uh, two big words, his property. Huge words. And uh, we'll pull apart what talent means in a moment. Uh, may not mean what you think it is. What Jesus does with parables in particular is he takes what is known, well known in the context of the first century. He knows a common physical thing that people would be accustomed to and he uses that to convey a spiritual truth. When it comes to the ten virgins, he uses the analogy of a marriage. And so the analogy there is that after the betrothal, uh, the betrothal was, we call it engagement, but it was far more serious than that in the first century. Uh, A betrothal was where commitments and promises were made 
made between the families. And after the betrothal, uh, the bridegroom would go away and he would go away for a period of up to 12 months. And at a time only known to him, and when he was ready, he would come, pick up the bridal party, 10 virgins, and take them to the celebration. And the note to the bridal party is, you better be ready because the bridegroom will come when you don't expect it. And if you're not ready, you will miss out. Everybody knew exactly what Jesus meant. The parable of talents, they also know what Jesus means because there's a couple of words here. Uh, First one is servants. Uh, If your Bible has translated that word as servant and the ESV has here, they're actually wrong. The word should be and is slave. But we try to... We try to dull it down a little bit because of sometimes the harshness that slave can be received with. But slave is really important to this parable because in the first century, it was not uncommon for a master, a business owner, one who was wealthy, to go away on a long journey. Today, if you want to go to Tasmania, you can get on a direct flight. It takes you about two and a quarter hours. But if you were going in the first century, it would take you about two and a quarter months. Jetstar wasn't there quite. You had to ride on a divine chariot, otherwise you were walking. And these guys would go away for long periods of time and when they did, they would come to their slaves and say, here is my property, work it while I'm away. It was not uncommon in the first century. We don't don't know much about that today. Uh, This parable should actually be called, to help us understand it, it actually should be called the parable of the bags of gold. Too often we've confused the word talents to mean, well, this is the special endowments and gifts that God gives to me and, uh, you know, like the the striking good looks and the short hair and all those sorts of... Everybody said amen then, right? (laughs) (laughs) You were just about to, thank you, Terry. Uh, Only people in Aladala would have got that Uh, (coughs) or from Aladala would have got that. Uh, But but here's what talent means. A talent was not a coin. It was a weight... of monetary value. This is not a great analogy, but it will help us understand it. This is not a $2 coin. This is a kilogram of gold or a kilogram of silver or a kilogram of copper. And that's important because this whole parable, the thrust of this whole parable is, the main point is, God has invested something in us and there will be a day when he's looking for a return on investment. Does that include some of the gifts and endowments that God gives us? To a small degree, yes. But remember, it was his property. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents. Uh, A talent of particularly gold could have weighed up to 20 years worth of wages. We need to understand that whatever it is that the owner is depositing with his slaves, and the reason it has to be slaves is, slaves have, have an obligation to work what's deposited, not a choice. Somewhere in Christianity, somewhere over the last 2,000 years, we've developed this middle ground where, well, if we want to go deeper with God, we might start working what is invested and, and so forth in our life. That's never been biblical. That was never Jesus' intention. To one, he gave five talents. We're going to see in a moment that amount is not what's important. 
How much you're given is not what's important. It's what you do with it. To one he gave five talents, to another he gave two, and to to another he gave one. Listen to this now. Each according to his ability or each according to his capacity. God gives according to our ability or our capacity. Uh, First thing, can we increase our capacities? Yes. To those that are faithful in little, says the Lord, much will be entrusted. Uh, Let me try. If I say the word Elisha, or the name Elisha, what's the first thing that comes to our minds when we think Elisha? Maybe Elijah, but most of us will say double portion, right? Oh, he was the prophet with the double portion, Robin. Oh, but what we forget about Elisha is that for 10 years, 10 years, all Elisha did was carry the oil flask. Faithful in the little, God entrusts much. Yes, you can increase your capacities. God is looking to increase your capacities. That's exactly why he stretches us to grow us. Uh, When we all go to the gym, because we're all looking real buff today, uh, when we go to the gym, uh, what's happening when we go to the gym? We pick up weights and we apply resistance to our muscles. Why? So that we can tear them, stretch them and rip them to increase their capacities. And when the gym came and said, Mr. Wood, we have no more weight, we can't go any higher. (laughs) How deceitful of them. According to his ability, then he went away. So we start asking questions, who's the man? Jesus Who's gone away? Jesus. Who's coming back? Jesus. Then he went away and he who had received the five talents went at once. And, uh, and we'll come to the servants in a moment and how they are differentiated. But we need to come down to verse 19. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. I am not being your pastor if I don't prepare you for the day when Jesus will come to settle accounts with you. And on that day, you can't hide, you can't pretend. Here's what Paul wrote to the Corinthians in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. He says that we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. I'm trying to help you to understand what this looks like. And the judgment seat is not what we might think a judge cloaked in robes with a gavel behind a bench. That's not the picture. A judgment seat in the first century is an athletic term because Paul, like myself, was deeply athletic. Everyone said amen. I'm trying to help you out this morning. Uh, we, need, we need somebody up the back holding up an amen or a clap. Or, no, but uh, he was deeply athletic, so he knew these analogies. And what would happen in the Colosseum or in the athletics, uh, what would happen is everybody would run their race and the person that was seated in the judgment seat uh, wasn't so concerned about who crossed the line first, second or third. His concern was the manner or the quality by which you participated. Did you participate according to the rules? Did you participate? Uh, It's kind of like those that scrutinise the walkers. Anybody ever seen Olympic walkers? I mean, those guys look like they're in a hurry to the toilet, right? There's like, whoa! But, but it's all very, very technical. You've got to have one foot always on the ground and uh, it's like running. What's the point, right? 
But that's what the judgment seat of Christ is like. He will view our lives. This isn't about all the sins that you've committed. Remember where they've gone. This is about what you have done with what God has placed inside of you. The aim of the Christian life is fruitfulness. And for the men that were here Monday night, we talked briefly about fruitfulness. There are many other parables that Jesus helps us to understand that when he comes to us, he will come to us like a tree looking for fruit. And some of those parables look like this. A man planted a vineyard and, and he, built a, he put a fence around it. He built a tower, a little wine press. What's that mean? It means he's made every preparation. He's given everything for that vineyard to produce wonderful fruit. And for the men that were here on Monday night, we, we had a look at a parable in the, in the Gospel of Luke about a fig tree. that the, the owner comes and says, you know what, just cut it down because it's not bearing fruit. Here's what Jesus said. Uh, let me dig around it and apply some fertilizer. Give it another bit of time. To, to produce fruit. Uh, the return on the investment here is, is, is a return of fruit of what God has planted in our lives. We have all of the potential given to us. What are, what are some of the property and the endowments that the Father has given us? The Holy Spirit. Salvation, his word, all of these things. Let's, let's move along this morning. <clears throat> How can we differentiate? Let's have a look at what these guys do. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded. That means nothing more than invested or worked what was given to him. What are you doing with what God has given to you? Uh, some of us, like myself, are endowed with a beautiful voice to sing. I have a wonderful voice, Pastor Terry. It's just got a really rough passage out. But uh, yes, that includes some of the gifts that God gives us. But what are we doing with uh, the breadth of salvation that God has given us? What are we doing with with the wonderful Holy Spirit that God has given us? The demand is that we would bear fruit. He's trading. He's working. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. Notice they went immediately. But he had received the one talent. And here's the contrast. And we will pull these apart in a moment. But here's the contrast. When sometimes to understand the positive more clearly, we need to have a look through the lens of the negative. Jesus does this all the time. And so we have two very faithful servants who, are, who at once went and worked what it was that the master had deposited in them. And so, uh, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled account of them. We've covered this verse. And, and he who, uh, who this, this is what I want for everybody in this room. What we are about to read is what I want for every single person 
in this room. It's what I strive for. Verse 20, and he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. My hope, my prayer, my labour, the, the reason that we are here at The Rock is so that everybody in this church will hear these words. Well done, good and faithful servant. And by good, what does Jesus mean? Now we see that what's on the inside drives everything that's on the outside. Now we begin to see, well, hang on a second, the most important thing Jesus taught us in the parable of the virgins was to keep our oils lamps burning and to to keep on fire for Christ and, and to keep the relationship alive because what's on the inside drives what happens on the outside. First of all, you are a good servant, which speaks to the nature, which speaks to the motivations, which speaks to the desire of the good and faithful servants. And then there is faithfulness, perseverance. Uh, when I was in the forestry, we used to plant trees for pulp. We used to plant trees for clear wood, uh, which is clear wood's what you put on your, is the veneer you put on your floors and, and those kinds of things. And a whole lot of factors went into that, but we would prepare the soil. And then after the soil had been prepared, we would remove all of the weeds, everything that would choke the life out of the seedlings. And all the God has made all that same preparation for us. Christ has done all the groundwork. The ground has been ploughed up in our hearts and in our lives. And, and Jesus has removed all of the weeds and, and given us all of the potential, just in the same way. And then how the trees were planted. But there would come a day in those coops where somebody would come looking for a return on investment. The same as Jesus' will in our lives. One thing that is missing so often amongst Christianity is faithfulness, perseverance. It's working through all of the adverse circumstances. Uh, Can I make a long story short for everybody here? Your life is going to be filled with challenges. Uh, Recently, I appreciated uh, the words. I was listening to Tom Hanks, believe it or not. Uh, It just popped up on one of my feet. But interesting what he had to say. He he said, I wished when I was young, (laughs) I had learnt the words, this too shall pass. He was actually speaking to young actors. And he said to these young actors, he said, if you're feeling angry, if you're feeling rejected, if you're feeling cast out and not wanted right now, he said, I want you to know this too shall pass. But here's what he went on to say. If you're feeling very successful today, if you're feeling like everybody loves you today and that you are conquering the world, he said, let me tell you, this too shall pass. The only constant we have in this universe is Christ. That is the only thing that doesn't change. He is the only one that doesn't change. Uh, People change their minds. Anybody ever notice that? Sometimes people change their minds. And I I shared this with the the men on Monday night. When I was in the youth group, uh, our youth group at the Apostolic Church at the time, we had almost 30 kids with us that grew up in, in youth group. And most of them we kind of... No, or, or, or my wife is friends with them on Facebook. 
none of them are following the law today. Well done, good and faithful servant. If you want to change what's happening on the outside of your life, then I want to encourage you today to change what's happening on the inside. Get into your prayer closet, get on your knees, pray, open God's word, allow the Holy Spirit to do his work. And so as we try to understand this more, let's have a look at the contrast, the negative that Jesus offers us here. Uh, Come down with me, if you will, to verse 24. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. That is really important because everything that this wicked servant does flows from a disjointed knowledge of the master. Problem is, you're trying to make an assessment, a character assessment of the master here by a couple of what things that he may have done. You don't really know the master. Master, I knew you to be a hard man. Verse 25, so I was afraid. See, the first two operate with a reverential fear for the master. I know the master's coming back. I know there's going to be a time of reckoning. And so they carry out their time in a reverential fear and respect for their master. This guy's got no respect for the master at all. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here have what is yours. And uh, uh, my my wonderful foster mum had an uncle. His name was Tommy. I might have told a few people about Uncle Tommy. Uncle Tommy is awesome. Uh, Uncle Tommy went into World War II, disappeared. Ten years later, after they'd held the funeral for him, ten years later he walks through the door and says, Hi. (laughs) Uncle Tommy had no idea where he had been or how he got back home. No idea. Tommy, where have you been? Don't I? Wow. Tommy, throughout his life, had accumulated great riches. On the day that my foster mum got married, he turned up and said with a shoebox, here's your wedding present. A guy that had amassed great wealth didn't trust the banks. So he goes and buries all of his money throughout his big property in Devonport in jars. That's fine. Tommy got dementia. Couldn't remember. Somebody has brought that plot of ground. But he went and hid what he had. There are Christians. Are you hiding what it is that God has placed inside of you? We need men and women of God that are going to shine the light that God has placed inside of them. Not go and hide it like Uncle Tommy. Whoever bought that land got a bargain. If they find out what is buried underneath there, I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. And again, wicked. Why? Because all of his actions flow from an inward disposition. You are a wicked servant. Your motivations and your desires, they are wicked. And so therefore you are slothful or you are unambitious. Do you know it is good to have ambition? holy ambition. God loves somebody with enough audacity and ambition to believe big things and pray dangerous prayers. God loves that kind of ambition. This guy's got no ambition. (laughs) 
You, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed, then you should have invested my money, invested my money with the bankers so that I would have got at least some kind of return. Our heart here at the rock is that every one of us will hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And this might sound a bit morbid this morning, but my job as pastor and our job here as the church is to help you to die well. But to die well, you need to live well. God has given us a fishing session, just like those guys that go to the tournaments. Every, and I can't tell you how long your session is. You can't tell you how long your session is. And just like all those guys that are out on the lake between 6 and 2, they know when their session ends. At 2 o'clock, I've got to be back at the shores for the weigh-in. But we're like all of those anglers out on the water, not knowing when it is that God's going to blow the siren and demand that we weigh in. If we grabbed hold of that revelation this morning, it would change how we conduct our lives tomorrow. The big differentiation between the two, well, the three servants, but the good and faithful servant and the slothful and wicked servant, the the biggest differentiation was this. The good and faithful servants spent all of their time and all of their efforts about the master's business. The wicked and slothful servant spent all of his time and all of his efforts on his own business. And that's why slave is so important because they had an obligation to work what God had placed and invested in them. Over the coming weeks leading up to October, we will answer the question, how do we do that then? How can we... How can we expect God to do a deeper work, but also a wider work? We want to reach people for Christ. We want to make space to reach people for Christ, and we want to grow people here. As we finish, I have a couple of questions. There are good and faithful servants that fill church pews every week. There are wicked and slothful servants that fill church pews every week. Which one are you? You see, when you stand before Christ, he's not going to get out your attendance record and say, oh, good little boy, you, attended, you should attend church, by the way. But he's not going to say, hey, you know what? Look at your attendance record at church. No. And he's not going to stand there and say, how many verses of the Bible were you able to commit to memory? Jesus won't ask you that question. Jesus comes to the tree of our life demanding fruit. What have you done with what I have invested in you? Let's pray.
Father, we pray, grow us. Teach us to trade with what you have placed in our hearts. Father, whether we are at work, at school, running our own business, raising kids, or tending to life's affairs, Father, we can be about your business. Father, I pray that just like the virgins, our lamps would burn bright. I pray that just like the good and faithful servants, that you would find us to be both of those good and faithful. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would continue to do a deep work, stretching us, increasing our capacities. For the glory of God, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.